number four. Philippians 3 and verse 4. Appreciate the singing. Appreciate everything God's done tonight in the service. Paul said, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Verse 5. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Being found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may have that if I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. Heavenly Father, Lord, I do ask you now to bless the reading of thy word. Speak to our hearts. Give us liberty these next few moments. And may you be exalted in our midst. And we'll thank you for it. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated tonight. I want to preach a few minutes tonight on this subject, on the Christ life. The Christ life. You know, the Apostle Paul in this passage of Scripture tonight, he's going to talk about the life that he once had and the life that he now has and the life that one day he will have in eternity. And that is the Christ life. It erased our past, it helps our present, and it gives us a promise of a better day that's going to come. I'm glad tonight, Paul said in, Philippians, or in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, he said, for I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I, uh, he said, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, he said, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul knew what it was to have a different life, a better life, and that is the Christ life. And you know tonight as Christians, uh, we have to think about, as I mentioned this morning, where would our life be? What would our life be had it not been for Jesus Christ? Amen? I would say that you would testify this to, along with me tonight, that the greatest thing that ever happened to any of us was the day that we got saved, the day that we got born again. And when we got saved and we got born again, that's what happened. We got born again. We got a new life, a, a new life in Jesus Christ. Christ said in John chapter 15, he said, I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. In John chapter 3 and verse 16, we know the verse, uh, and for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but thank God there's more than not just perishing, but have everlasting life. Amen? You see, Jesus didn't just come uh, to save us from the pits of hell. Now if, if that would have been all he would have done, that would have been wonderful. We could have shouted for eternity on the fact that we don't have to go to hell. But could you imagine trying to have to live eternity in this world, in this body, in this mind, in this thing? But 
Jesus said, I want to do more than just rescue you from the burning. He said, I want to give you a life worth living for. Amen? I want to take your life that's worth nothing, your life that deserves nothing, and I want to give you a better life. I want to say tonight, I thank God for the life that we have in Jesus Christ, and that is the Christ life. Notice three things tonight that Paul mentions here in this text, and we'll be done. Uh, Paul talks about, first of all, in verses 4 through 6, he talks about his past glory. As he goes down through verses 4, 5, and 6, he talks about the life that he used to live and the life that he used to have. And Paul, listen, he was at the top of the list, but he wants us to know in these verses that the works of the flesh cannot save. Amen? It doesn't matter how well a person is. It doesn't matter how good that much how much good they do. It doesn't matter how religious they are. It has absolutely nothing to do with this new life that is in Jesus Christ. And so Paul's going to take us down memory's lane and he's going to remind us of his past glory as he talks about that life. And what he wants us to see first of all in verse number 5, he wants us to see that when it comes to the past glory of the old life, of the flesh, he wants us to understand that ritual is excluded. Amen? He said that he was circumcised the eighth day. And that just simply means that Paul was a Jew by birth. That he followed the Jewish rituals from the beginning. At the proper time, he had went and he had gone through the ceremony that had been initiated upon him concerning the covenant of the people. I mean, he was circumcised the eighth day. But he's telling us that he still had the old life. He was still living the old way. He hadn't changed any whatsoever because ritual has nothing to do with true salvation. It is excluded. Amen. He also says of the stock of Israel. That's telling us that relationships are excluded. You see, some Judaizers were Gentiles, but not Paul. Paul was of, he was a Jew, a full-blooded Jew of the nation of Israel. But when it comes to having a new life in Christ, rituals will not get you in relationships who your who what your race is who you're kin to it doesn't matter who your mother and your father is that has absolutely nothing to do with a new life in Jesus Christ as Paul talks about his past glory he also tells us that respectability has nothing to do that it is excluded as well as he says of notice this the tribe of Benjamin I mean that's another impressive credential when you think about who Paul was. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. And in Bible days many of those Jews in Paul's day they didn't even know what tribe they were of during that, that time. But Paul knew. He had a good stock so to speak. He was of the stock of Israel. But he was better. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. I mean listen, that was a very impressive tribe. Uh, it was one of the most prominent tribes uh, of Israel. And Paul was of that. But when it comes to being saved, when it comes to having a new life. And that past glory is not going to do you any good. Ritual is not going to do you any good. Relationships is not going to do you any good. Who you know. Respectability. How much people look up to you has nothing to do with a new life in Jesus Christ. He tells us that race is excluded. He said that he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I mean think about this. 
This implies that Paul grew to manhood and that he strictly maintained uh, uh, the traditions of the Jewish uh, uh, heritage that as he grew up, he stayed with his heritage. Uh, and listen, he was a Hebrew of the Hebrew, even though he was born in Tarsus, uh, a city that was in Asia Minor. Uh, listen, Paul, uh, still, uh, uh, he remained uh, uh, firmly committed to his language, to the traditions, the, the orthodox traditions, uh, and to the customs uh, of his ancestors. Uh, he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. But again, I'm telling you, race doesn't have anything to do with grace. Amen? I mean, if you go to heaven, friend, uh, it's not going to be uh, uh, because of the color of skin. It's not going to be because of the color of nationality. Uh, we're talking about a new life. Uh, in the past, glory of the flesh uh, will never compare with a new life in Jesus Christ. Uh, and Paul walks down memory's lane and he says ritual is excluded. Uh, relationships is excluded. Respectability is excluded. Race is excluded. And then notice Paul says religion is excluded. He says it's touching the law of Pharisee. Well, Paul was not just a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was not just of the stock of Israel or the tribe of Benjamin, but he says in verse 5 that as touching the law, he was a Pharisee. To become a Pharisee was to reach the highest level in devotion according to legalistic Judaism. Paul was living by the letter. The word Pharisee derives from a Hebrew word that means to separate signifying that uh, they were set apart from the law, not just the Pentateuch and not just the Old Testament law, but all the laws that were attached to that, that Paul says when it comes to this, uh, uh, Paul said, I was full of religion. He had plenty of religion, but he didn't have a new life. Amen? I'm saying this, this evening, religion will not leave you satisfied. Religion will not give you security. Religion, my friend, will not put a, a peace on your pillow at night. Religion, my friend, will never do what Jesus Christ will do. It's not in the works of the flesh, Paul is saying. It's in a new life in Jesus Christ. Paul was a very religious man, but he was also a very lost man. He said reputation, a reputation is excluded. Notice this in verse number 6. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Paul was known for being a persecutor. After the death of Stephen, the Bible says that he breathed out threatenings to the church. From house to house, he, he persecuted. He, he brought murder upon those other Christians. Paul uh, was a very, he had a reputation that was known. And may I say those papers in hand and that reputation that Paul uh, bore, all the persecution that he brought on the church, uh, he was doing it in the name of religion. He was doing it with zeal. He was doing it concerning zeal. He, was, uh, he thought he was annihilating the enemy of God. All of the while, he was the enemy of God because he was dead in his trespasses and sin and then Paul says righteousness is excluded look what he said there in that same verse he said touching the righteousness which is in the law Paul said I was blameless Paul said you couldn't add anything to my life he said I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees I mean Paul had lived by the letter of the Old Testament by the rule of the Pentateuch Paul was one that was blameless he had been interrogated invested 
investigated and he'd come out religiously clean in the eyes of man but he was religiously filthy in the eyes of God amen because God's standard is a whole lot higher than man's standard and while man had put his stamp of approval on the apostle Paul and he had all these credentials and he had this past glory the big problem in Paul's life is the big problem in every sinner's life he didn't have no life on the inside he was still as dead as he always had been I'm telling you friend you can go to church you can tithe you can sing in the choir you can attend Sunday school listen you can do all these works of the flesh but you'll still be dead in your trespasses and sin if you've never been born again if you don't have life on the inside amen and Paul talks about his past glory then Paul talks about in verse number 7 his present gain Paul begins to talk about losses and gain he wrote some things off in verse 7 and 8 and 9 you say what do you mean he wrote off all of his human religion as he says but what things all these things that he just mentioned in verse 4 5 and 6 but what things were gained to me that's what they were Paul said those I counted loss for Christ Paul said when it comes to salvation and Christianity Paul said, everything I just mentioned to you, a Pharisee of the tribe of Benjamin, of the stock of Israel, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, all these credentials that I could roll out, uh, uh, listen, uh, these things that I could boast in in my past glory that I once had. He said, when you compare it to Christ, uh, he said, I wrote every bit of that human religion off. Uh, In other words, in plain old Georgia language, he just junked it all. Amen. He needed new life. And on the Damascus road, you know what he did? He had a head-on collision with life itself he ran into the Lord Jesus Christ he met not only the light of God but he met the life of God my friend standing in the presence of life and standing in the presence of light all the credentials of the past have just faded away because Paul's glory could never be compared to Christ's glory Christ had something Paul did not have thank God he had life amen and in that moment standing there when he said Lord Lord, what will thou have me to do? He counted everything lost for Christ. I'm telling you, friend, he wrote off the human religion. He wrote off the human resources in verse number 8. He said, yea, doubtless, I count all things for loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I suffer the loss of all things and do count them but done, talking about those things he mentioned. Why? That I may win Christ. Amen. I'm telling you, friend, the deeper this text go, God, the the better Paul's starting to feel Uh, because Paul says when you look at my life it looked pretty good but when I stood in the presence of the king uh, when I stood in the presence of our savior when I stood in the presence of the one uh, uh, my friend that's fairer than the uh, ten thousands uh, he said I junked all the human religion I junked all the human resources why he said they were nothing but dung in the eyes of a thrice holy God he said I got rid of all of it why that I may win Christ Christ. Do you remember the day when you waved the old white flag of surrender? Do you remember the time when you just left it all behind? You said that's nothing. Oh, but he is everything. My life is miserable, but he is wonderful. My life is unholy, but he is holy. I'm telling you to win Christ is everything. Praise God. 
Come, that's the present gain. Amen. That's why Paul could say in Philippians 1.21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He wrote off all the human religion. He wrote off all of his human resources. And in verse 9, he writes off all of his human righteousness. He said, and being found in him. You ought to underline that. That's where it's all at. Amen. If you're found in him. And Paul said, and being found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God, notice this, by faith. Amen. In other words, here's what Paul is saying. Paul said, I traded all of my self-righteousness. That would never do. Paul said, I traded all of that. That would never do for the righteousness of Christ. In other words, Paul said, I found out something. It's not the works of the flesh. They'll profit you nothing. That's why he said in verse number three, have no confidence in the flesh because you'll come up empty. But he said, if you'll take on the righteousness of Christ, how do you take that on? You take it on by faith. Amen. I'm telling you, when you kneel down and say, God, I'm a sinner and I can't save myself, but what you did at Calvary, it's enough to clear me. It's enough to cleanse me. It's righteousness. It's not mine, but it's his. Thank God it's enough and you take it by faith. Hallelujah. You see, there are some people, they want you to explain all that. I just tried. And that's as good as it gets. But if you're going to get saved based on what you can figure out, what you can take by figuring, you're not going to get saved. Because you don't get saved by figuring. You get saved by faith. I'm telling you, I didn't know, and you would testify, many of you the same. We didn't know what propitiation, most of us didn't know what that meant the day we got saved. We didn't know what justification. We didn't know what imputed righteousness. The first time I heard that, I said, what in the world or is that preacher talking about? I didn't know what all that meant. All I knew was I was going to hell, amen. And I knew that I couldn't save myself. I couldn't figure all that out. I didn't know how all that worked. I didn't know how all that came together. I know Jesus died for my sins. I know that's enough. You say, how did you know that? I just took it by faith. I just believe it because that's what the book says. I'm telling you what I can't explain, I can still accept, amen. And what I can't explain, I can still live and I can experience. And can I tell you, salvation works. I'm telling you, being saved works. I'm telling you tonight, being saved will give you peace. Brother, it's not what I've done. I've never done anything that would ever merit the favor of God one ounce. But what Jesus did at Calvary, it washed away all my sins of past, present, and future. And the gain that we have today is not in ourselves, but it's in Jesus Christ and Him alone. Amen. I tell you, our gain is in Christ. Paul, in this text, he realizes that the unsaved man is without Christ, he's without God, and he's without hope. He he lost all of his earthly things to gain the eternal thing. Can I tell you tonight, no one probably said it any better outside of Paul than Jim Elliot. When he said he is no fool to give what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. 
And Paul said it in this text. He had the same thought pattern. That the things that I counted gain were loss. He said, why? That I may win Christ. You know, I wonder tonight how many people today are still holding on to things that they've done rather than what Christ has done. Paul's past glory. Paul's present gain. And then I see here in this text, I want you to notice Paul in this text. I want you to see his projected goals. Because Paul has some goals when you get to verse number 10. When you think about what Paul's goals is, is it's the new life in Christ. Isn't it amazing when a person gets saved how everything changes in their life? And I'm not saying, you say, well, I got saved when I was seven or eight years old. Oh, but things changed. You say, well, I couldn't see a whole lot of change. No, but if you hadn't got saved, things would have been another way. You see, I'm convinced that change isn't always the things that we can see, but sometimes change is also the things that we cannot see because change for a seven or eight or nine-year-old child that gets saved means that they would have went down this course. Uh, They would have went down this path. Maybe it wasn't a path of drunkenness. Maybe it wasn't a path of dope. uh, But maybe it was going to be a path of religion. Maybe it was going to be some path of self-righteousness. Maybe it was going to be some path uh, that they were still going to be just as dead. I'll tell you when they got saved at seven, eight, nine years old there was a change that took place. You say what happened? Uh, uh, God gave them a change of heart and then God gave them a change of mind uh, and then God gave them a change of a pathway. They didn't go that way. So therefore when they're 25 and they're 30 they don't stand and testify about all the different types of sin that they wallowed out. You know why? Because yes that's a path they probably would or could have went down but God changed that a long time ago and before the devil could ever trot them down that pathway God stepped in when they were just a little child and saved them and birthed them in the family of God and the change that took place in their life can be seen with a spiritual eye God sees the beginning and the end I would say oh what a change that God saves people out of sin but thank God he saved some people from sin hallelujah you know the fact that you don't have the scars The fact that you've never seen and done some of the things that others have done. That's a big change. That God changed. And Paul, his goals here. Notice it involves a personal experience. He said that I may know him. It involves a powerful experience. The the power of his resurrection. You think about that. The power of his resurrection. Paul experienced this power on two levels. He experienced it at the moment of salvation. But then he experienced in sanctification. I mean when God saved him, he changed him on the Damascus road. But then he experienced it in sanctification. Progressively, God worked in his life. And Paul knew that was the power of resurrection. He said, I want to know more about that power that changed me the day itself me and that power that changed me in sanctification. You say why is that? Because the law couldn't save him and the law couldn't sanctify him no matter how much he did. You know why? Because the law didn't have no power. Amen? And the flesh couldn't save him and the flesh couldn't sanctify him because the flesh had no power. But he met Jesus that day in Acts chapter 9 and thank God Jesus changed him and Jesus sanctified him. You know why? Because he saved him. Hallelujah. And that's the power. And Paul said it's a personal experience experience. I want to know him. It's a powerful experience. The power of his resurrection. And then it's a painful experience. Paul said the fellowship of his sufferings. You know sometimes 
living the Christ life, we have to experience some painful things, don't we? I wondered why would God allow us to go through things in life that are painful? He loves us, no doubt. He cares for us, no doubt. He doesn't want anything harmful to ever come in our life, so therefore why would God allow any pain to ever come in our life? He does that because he knows that the painful experiences of life, when we suffer, is when we learn. When we suffer, it's when we lean. When we suffer, it's when we look. So God does not allow pain to be the enemy, but God allows pain to be the tool that causes us to lean, that causes us to learn. It causes us to look. God uses it in our life because He knows if we don't ever learn how to lean and we don't ever learn how to look, there'll be untold pain in our life that we'll cause within ourselves. And God loves us too much. And in the fellowship of His sufferings, you know what that means? That means that God is more nearer. It means that His hand is more comforting. You may be here tonight and say, Preacher, I'm going through a pain painful experience in my life and that may be true but you rest assured child of God it's in the fellowship of his sufferings that though God may not be seen he is still near and sometimes when God cannot be heard but yet a little whisper here and a little whisper there isn't it just exactly what you need in that moment when you need it I'm telling you God doesn't always manifest himself in a large way but what he will do is he'll hang a verse here or let a song be sung right there or let a testimony be given there or a sermon will be preached here it'll be just enough to get you over the next hilltop in your suffering why he's teaching us I like what the songwriter said when he said learning to lean learning to lean amen leaning on Jesus what a fellowship what a joy divine leaning on the everlasting arms I don't like pain and I don't like suffering but I sure like it in the midst of my pain when I feel his arm reach around and pull me up close and say son you can't see the way but it's going to be alright hallelujah God will he'll take care of you he's let me hear that song so many times over the past few weeks that there's no way it's an accident was sitting in my office yesterday. Here it come over the radio wave. And the devil said, that's a coincidence. I said, shut up, Satan. I said it out loud. If, it's an, if it was a coincidence, the devil wouldn't be trying to convince me that it was one. You ever thought about that? You read something, you hear something, God sends something your way, and then the thought comes, well, what if, what if that just happened that way? That's the devil trying to tell you that. Because he would rather you believe it just happened that way than to believe that God cared enough. <laughs> With 8 billion people in this world that God cared enough to give you that verse, to give you that song, to give you that sermon. Isn't that a personal God? Amen. In the middle of my suffering, in the middle of your suffering, He's not left out. He's not too busy. He's not somewhere else. He's not on vacation. But thank God in the midst of your sorrow and suffering, He said, I'll be right there with you. I'll stay with you. I'll be a friend that'll stick closer than a brother. I'll be one that'll walk every mile of the way. Hallelujah. Thank God I'm about to think myself happy amen I'm saying that's a God we serve he will not leave us unto ourselves hallelujah that's him tonight amen he's faithful isn't he
and the goal, Paul says it's a painful experience. He talks about the aim of his goal in verse number 12. He said, not as though I had already obtained, neither were already perfect, but I follow. You know, I like that. Not as though I have already attained. Haven't you met people that feel like they've arrived? They've done attained everything. Either were already perfect. I met a few people like that. I don't know why they're waiting for a rapture. They're going to be disappointed when they get a glorified body. They're already perfect. In fact, they'll probably tell God, can I have the one back I had? It was better than the one you just gave me. Y'all ain't laughing, but it's true. You ever meet one of them? I pastored a couple down through the years. It's painful. Do you know tonight, the great apostle Paul said something that a lot of people would never say. He said, I've not as though I'd already attained. Either were already perfect. But I follow after. I'm striving for it. If that I may apprehend that for that which also I am apprehended of Christ. Paul, what's your aim? The word apprehend means to attain or to capture. Paul had one goal in mind. And that was to be what God wanted him to be. You know, tonight, it's a lot of pressure if you're striving to be what others want you to be. But I'll tell you, all the pressure comes off when you're just trying to be what God wants you to be. I say that because I really feel, I really feel for the generation that's under me and especially the ones that are coming up. Because so much has been built that is so fake that I think sometimes people put themselves under enormous amounts of pressure because they feel like they're a failure because they're looking and comparing, maybe not intentionally, at what others are hearing and saying and doing. But I'm going to tell you, in this life, there is one person that we're all to strive to please. And if you please God, you will please people to a degree. But it's not about them. Paul said, he said, my aim, my goal is to please God. And then look at his action in verse 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Paul, what are you going to do? forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are before. You see, Paul said, I'm forgetting. When you think about that, to forget, it doesn't mean to fail to remember. It means to no longer be influenced or affected by your past. You think about Paul's past. Oh, he was glorying in all that at one point, but after he got saved, what he gloried in haunted him his mistakes, his sins, his, his failures in life. Paul, by all means, could have, would have lived a defeated Christian life had he dwelt in the past, but forgetting those things behind simply means that we break the power of the past by living in the future. Paul, how are you going to forget your past? He said, there's only one way for me to forget my past, and that's to constantly be pressing toward a mark, be pressing toward the future. I'm reaching out. I don't have time to reach back because I'm reaching forward. My back is to the wind. My back is to everything else that's behind me. I burn all them bridges. Can't do 
knew nothing about the past. Uh, and if I look back and reach back and get something there, it's not going to do anything but defeat me. But Paul said, I'm looking forward. I'm looking ahead. Hey, child of God, uh, you want to go on for the glory of God? Uh, you want to live the Christ life? Uh, don't live in the past. Uh, don't look back at the past. Uh, always be looking to the future. Can I tell you something? The future will always look better than the past. Uh, when I look back, I thank God I'm saved. Uh, but there ain't a whole lot in the past uh, uh, that I can relish it. Uh, there's not a whole lot to comfort me. There's not a whole lot to encourage me. But when I look ahead, I may have to look around some things. Uh, I may have to look over some things. Uh, but there is uh, a better day coming. Hallelujah. And the future has never looked better and brighter for the child of God than what it does right now. You've got to forget your past. You've got to put it behind you. And I see the attitude of Paul in verse 14. He said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul, what is that mark that you're pressing toward? I'm going to tell you what that mark is tonight. It's the will of God. The high calling. You know what the high calling is in every one of our lives tonight? It's God's will. And whatever God's will is for my life, for your life, that's that high calling. You know, if you work a job, and you, maybe you've got a good job, and, and thank God if you have a good job. But that's that job God gave to you, but there's a higher calling than that job. That job may be a part of God's will, but God has a will for your life as a Christian, as a child of God. Whatever things that come in our life, we can't let the things, the circumstances, the things of our life, we can't make life about those things, can we? If you've got a nice home, a nice car, that's wonderful. But life can't be about the abundance of things, can it? It may be God's will for you to be living at the address. I believe that the will of God is that specific, that, that God will give you the place He wants you to live. He'll give you the car that He wants you to drive. If you say, well, I wish I had this car, but if God didn't give you that car, just be thankful for the car that you have. That's just life, isn't that right? God gives us what He wants us to have, and it's a part of His plan and His will. But the high calling is what is the will of God for my life? What is it that God wants me to do? He's got you on that job because there's something greater than just punching a clock and getting a paycheck. There's people that need the gospel. He's got you at that certain street that you live on so that you can be a testimony, a witness because there's people there that needs the gospel in that area. It's more than just having an address and a home and having things, but God has put you in that place. That's the high calling. And Paul said, the will of God for your life. What is the will of God? Hell, if you know the will of God, then get up every day and just do the will of God. Just press toward that mark. Don't try to fix five years from now. Don't try to fulfill five years from now. But just get up tomorrow. Go to work. Go to school. Go throughout your day. Whatever it is. And just finish. Press toward the mark of tomorrow. And one day at a time. That's how you forget the past. It's one day at a time. You know, I remember working on a public job and there was people that Honestly, it used to tickle me because they live for Fridays. I mean, they come in on Monday and they were depressed because it was Monday. And they were just waiting for Friday to get there. You couldn't get no work out of them. It's hard to get work out of them on Monday because it was Monday. You know what I'm saying? 
You get a little bit of work out of them on Tuesday and Wednesday, but when about Thursday, 12 o'clock kicked in, boy, they just had Friday evening on their mind. And they'd ride that clock on Thursday, ride it on Friday, and I thought, man, it's harder to ride a clock than it is just go do the work. And they would just count the minutes and count the hours. And I thought, if you just worked, time goes a whole lot faster when you're busy. But, but they were just living for Friday. They, they were always just, just looking ahead. But I'll tell you, sometimes in our Christian life, if we're not careful, that's what we'll do. We're looking ahead. And we ought to have a goal out there. But you know what? The Christian life is one day at a time. The Christ life is one day. You know how you raise your children? One day at a time. Amen. You know how you walk with God? One day at a time. That's how you do it. You say, I want to be, I want to be the Christian God wants me to be. I want to be like, like Brother Laddie. I want to be like somebody, Brother Danny. I want to be like some of these uh, Christians that, that I, I look up to. I understand that. One day at a time. One day at a time. If you've been saved five years, hey, the Bible says we're to never compare ourselves one to another. If you've been saved five years, you're not going to be like somebody that's been saved 50 years. You know how they got there? One day at a time. One day at a time. You know what you do reading your Bible? Read it one day at a time. It's good if you read through your Bible every year, but just start one day at a time. As we stand tonight, the Christ life, forget the past, thank God for the present, but reach out to the future. And tonight, if you're here, and you're not saved tonight.